Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Feels good to say that. It's been a little while. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are back for season two after our summer break. Um, I'm Ben Patterson, and I'm joined as always by Paul Hugomart, our lead minister here at Grace Chapel Church. Yeah, it's good to be here. It is, uh, you know, it's strange being back here, uh, kind of uh, shooting this, either, you know, if you're watching or if you're listening, either way. Uh, it, it's kind of neat to get back in this rhythm. It is, yeah, so I've, yeah. I've been looking forward to this for, for some time. Uh, enjoy these conversations that we have on, on the backside of uh, a Sunday morning's message, which is, which mm-hmm, is kind of mm-hmm. what we're doing is taking uh, the ideas from a Sunday morning message and then distilling those um, and maybe even flushing them out some further and then coming away with that one thing. You know, what is that one thing that you can lean yep. into? Because yep. we do believe that practice uh, and especially practice over and over, so repeated practice does lead to faithfulness. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Doesn't yeah. you know? So we're, you know, it's kind of a play on the, the whole idea of practice makes perfect. Um, you know, none of us are, are going to be perfect, but we want to shoot for faithfulness, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in that, we are trying to be set apart, holy, and and maybe we actually do kind of end up shooting in a roundabout way for that target of. Uh, being perfect as God is perfect, but it's it's through faithfulness and trying to, to look like Jesus that that happens for us. So yeah, so yeah, excited yeah. for you know for us because I think it's good for us, but excited mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. to to get to share with uh, with those who are listening and watching. So I know I've I've missed back. these conversations on the messages diving deeper. Summer's been great, but summer's always a pretty yes. chaotic time yeah. where a lot of us like just at Grace Chapel we're not always meeting as much and stuff. So it's cool to get back in the rhythm and this yes. podcast is all a good part of that so yeah i agreed and mentioning summer poll how how's your summer been any any exciting highlights out of it yeah i mean a, a good summer for sure you know um it, it's interesting i mean our summer here just north of atlanta started off incredibly hot mm-hmm. i mean we had days where we were and, and i probably others you know if you're listening somewhere in another part of the country i'm sure that's probably true for you too if, especially on the east coast southeast um, but, but we had days in the upper 90s and low 100s, and it seemed like that was just the string of things for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, man, what a hot summer. Um, which, you know, I mean, I, I like the heat personally. So being kind of, you know, being a, a natural Floridian. <laughs> Florida man. Uh, yeah, Florida man. I, I do, uh, yeah, Florida man. <laughs> That's great. Florida man likes the heat. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, so that was, that was kind of a neat and interesting start to the summer uh, with, with the heat like that. Um, the, my wife and kids got to visit her parents. I got to be up there for a little bit with them uh, over the 4th of July holiday. And then uh, we got to visit with my parents for a little bit who are, who are down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, did some traveling, visiting family, I think with, uh, with gas prices and inflation and other things like mm-hmm. that. You know, it kind of was a summer of how can you creatively put together a vacation. So <laughs> at least that's what it was yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, so, so we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't stay in any hotels or anything like that, really. We, we looked to kind of make the most of our time uh, visiting family. But, you know, but that's good, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's an awful lot of value in that. So, uh, so, yeah, it was a good summer. I always feel like summer is too short in some ways. It's so, and maybe it's just because it's different, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, if, if you're my age uh, or, or maybe even a little younger, definitely if you're older, um, so I'll be 44 in November. Um, you probably remember when you got out just before Memorial Day or right around Memorial Day, and you didn't go back to school till after Labor Day. So, you know, in, into September is when you're going back to school. And so here our kids get out about that same time, right around Memorial Day, but then they're back to school a whole month earlier. Yeah. You know, of yeah. course they have breaks throughout the year too. So it really makes it feel like summer's, you know, a whole month short. We used to have mm-hmm, three mm-hmm. months of break for summer, but I can see why they do it the way they do it. You know, it seems that, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that one extra month that kids are out, yeah, they yeah. forget a whole lot more before going back. And so I'm sure this is probably actually better for them. But yes, it feels like summer is short. But uh, what about you? I know so much going Good, on at the youth man. group level. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, in the several hats that I wear here yeah. at Grace Chapel, uh, youth ministry definitely takes the the forefront during the summer. Yes. We've got so many different events, activities going on. We had a mission trip to New Orleans this summer. Yeah. We um, had a summer camp type event, yeah. VBS, Atlanta mission. So it's been 
very full, yeah. very, uh, it's always like a really fun chaos, yeah. I like to think, of our GC <laughs> yes. Youth Summer. Yeah. And uh, it's nice now to kind of settle back into a rhythm yeah. of the rest of the calendar year, yes. get back into regular schedule of meetings and stuff. So it's good. Yeah, that's Man, good. I'm excited. I'm excited. That's good. I, I like the way you, you put that about youth ministry almost in a sense, like it, it is organized chaos. Um, yeah. I can remember uh, a time in youth ministry. I spent 12 years in youth ministry out of my now 21 years in ministry. So um, where I was gone for six out of seven weeks of a in a row in a summer. And remember thinking like, oh, man, something's got to change. Something's got to give. And yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But but it's, you know, so many truly valuable things that happen yeah. in the travel that, that does happen, um, you know, whether it be mission trip or camps or other things like that. So, yeah. I'm well, and I'm appreciative that as busy as it is, we have a good a good rhythm where we don't have a six weeks. Yeah, we're right. out back to back. It's a yeah. we'll have a big event and then that's we'll have right. kind of a week to, you know, slow down a bit and then another one. And yeah. it, it keeps going. But yeah. it's good. Important. And I think it's been so encouraging to see in the midst of all of that, of seeing discipleship happening, right? I've seen some really incredible moments of some students getting it, taking next steps in their faith, of seeing some awesome moments where Holy Spirit kind of showed up in some ways that we can't really explain other than being pretty miraculous. Yeah. Um, And we could talk about more stories there. Yeah, I've heard some good ones, for sure. I do know for today, we have some really cool content to dive into. Yeah, yeah. Um, yesterday, we kicked off a new series um, that is connected to the book that you wrote a yes. way back. And uh, we're going to dive into that now in our podcast series. Actually, mm-hmm. for the next eight weeks, we're going to be camped out That's in right. this. So if you don't have your copy of a way back, I would encourage you to go ahead and get that. Be ready along um, and it'll kind of help. Uh, connect some dots here. Also be following along with our sermons on Sunday morning would be great as well. But um, Paul, why don't you give us just like a little bit of a, uh, we're going to be in this thing for eight weeks. So give us a little bit of a direction of where are we headed? Where's this series going? Um, Yeah. Give us a a brief snapshot. Yeah. So, um, you know, if I, if I could get into just a little bit of the tension that I felt that that propelled the writing of this book and also then the conversation uh, of this now eight weeks message series is, you know, it, it doesn't take much looking around. You know, we did a little kind of a, a little teaser into this just a few weeks ago. It doesn't take much looking around to realize that, man, stuff in this world is just really, really messed up. And there are a lot of people saying here, this is the solution. This is the solution. No, here's the solution over here. And, and here we are as, as Christ followers, um, knowing that we have the answer. You know, I mean, God has given us the answer, it's, and it's to live like Jesus. And, and you know, I mean, you think about that, um, you know, if, if, we could all like, if we could all live like Jesus, truly live like Jesus, mm-hmm. think about what this world would look like. You know, if, if, every, if everybody had in their hearts, in their minds, <clears throat> set, up, set out, woke up every day, Um, I'm going to live like Jesus as much as I can today. Think about the way that we would treat each other. And also, so you think about one and one thing, the things that would happen, and then think about all the things that wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there Mm -hmm. would still be bad things that happen that that seem to be tied to circumstance or happenstance, or even sometimes we use the word chance in there too. Um, You know, car accidents where people lose their lives would still happen. But think about what it would look like, even in that situation where this community living like Jesus would rally around a person like that and just embrace them and love them and show them mm-hmm. kindness, tenderness, mm-hmm. uh, concern, comfort in a time like that. But think about all the things that wouldn't have to happen. You know, when you think about, um, you know, uh, think about even in a marriage, if, if two people in that marriage were to make it their goal to live as much like Jesus as possible or to, to embrace the heart and the attitude of Christ and the way they treated each other as much as possible, uh, the things that wouldn't happen in that marriage. You know, Paul says toward the end of Romans, you know, we wouldn't have needed the law mm-hmm. if we understood what it was to love basically like Jesus. Okay, so I'm reading into that and adding a little extra onto that. But that's, I think that's kind of the point in, in you know, as, as in writing this book is that what we need is God's way and not our way. But we're so bound to our way. We want to, you know, we want to do things our way, and we're we're, way, we're sold stuff like that, right? You know, so, yeah. you know, for Burger King, even their their slogan for a time was, "You can have it your way." You know, yeah. so whatever yeah. your way is, you can have it your way, and we're not going to complain about it. Um, you know, so you know, the customer is always right, and you know, and I understand that in, in in customer service, there may be something to that, but we're so conditioned 
to believe that we ought to have things our way, that when the time comes to surrender to, you know, things to God, and when we see plainly that that is what Jesus is calling us to do, it just makes that so difficult. And so you know, that's really what is at the heart of this series is making the case for why we ought to live life God's way. And, and really that, that that is what is at the heart of this word that I'm using is, you know, that the word that the Bible uses that we've often thought meant one thing, but I'm making the case actually means that thing plus some other things, uh, but this word repentance. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, so even the subtitle to the book, it's, it's repentance, the presence of God and the revival the church so desperately needs. And, and, you know, so making the case that we as the church uh, through uh, the engagement with the Holy Spirit, the reading of Scripture, all that coming together, we ought to know what the way to live, you know, how to live yeah. life, what the way is, who the way is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as there are all these competing systems saying, here's the answer, here's the answer, here's the answer, every one of those comes up hollow and void. And here's this one with deep substance mm-hmm. that we're supposed to be calling all people to, by the way. So... Uh, it, it, I guess uh, ultimately that that's kind of at, at the heart of this series. So it kind of also gives some clues about where we're headed, but that's just a quick look. That's good. There's a lot there, uh, a lot yeah. there to unpack yes. in that. We've got eight weeks and, to do it. So. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. I look forward to diving into some of those conversations about what is repentance and yeah. revival, all, all of that. I'm sure we'll be getting there. Yes. But tell us, where do we start? Where, where are you starting this thing? It was chapter one of the book, really, and this first part of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, where is this all beginning? Yeah, so for this Sunday's message and for chapter one, really, we're trying to deal with three big and very related questions. Okay, they are related. Almost one logically progresses to the next, especially within our framework, within mm-hmm. the context of this series. So uh, the first big question, and we began with this one um, this Sunday, is the question, who is God? Mm-hmm. Man, it's a huge question. And um, if, if you went around and did kind of man-on-the-street you know, interviews to try to get different answers, and actually, there's actually videos you can watch of this where you know, you've got people going around asking others the question, who is God? And it's amazing the answers to the question you get, or you know, the answers you get to that question. Um, but the same can be said in, in, within a church context, too. Um, we don't all hold the same view of God just because we come to church on Sunday morning. And so I, I didn't want to take that for granted, both in the writing of the book and in uh, the preaching of this series, that we're all on the same page as to the identity of God, mm-hmm. who God really is. Mm-hmm. And so we began with that question, who is God? I want people to think through that. So wherever you are right now, listening, driving down the road, watching this somewhere, um, t- take just a second and and try to formulate for yourself. Now, again, I know this is, it's a question that makes things sound very simple, simplistic. It could um, you know, the answers that we can come up with, even the correct and I think good and and wholesome right answers to who God is, you're just going to build in layers of complexity as you go. But just at a very basic level, who is God? You know, who is God? And then from there, you know, for those of us who believe um, that, you know, that we ought to be valuing the Word of God, then we've got this book called the Bible, right, that we believe is the inspired Word of God. Um, We believe it's infallible. And so, so here we are, we're coming to the Word of God asking, okay, well, who does the Bible say God is in some sense? But then again, beyond that, because we believe it is the inspired Word of God and we believe that God is the one then that, that uh, inspired these men to write down these words over a period of you know, a couple thousand years likely, um, then I think there's a third related question that we ask. Uh, you know, so if we got who is God, who does the Bible say God is, you put those two together and really what you get is this question that I think maybe is the most complete question um, with the combination of the two is how does God present himself to humanity through the message that he shared with us? So if if God is in scripture, in a sense, telling the story of who he is and who we are as a people as well, then when we're drawn into scripture, we're getting that revelation from God where he starts to tell us, here's who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, so what we did this Sunday and, and really the beginning of this book as well is just to start at Genesis 1 mm-hmm. that actually begin with the words, in the beginning, God. Yeah. So if you see that, in the beginning, God, okay, we're about to learn something about who God is. Yeah. Right there, in the beginning, God. And so 
Um, you know, so in that we, you know, that text, we learned a number of things going from Genesis 1-1 all the way to 2-3. We see the whole creation story in there. And that's just really where we spent our time so that we could see what does God tell us about himself and us in that short chapter plus three verses or so. That's good. Awesome. Awesome. So in that message, uh, you said that um, the central identity of God mm-hmm. is that he is the creator of everything that exists. Yeah. So why is that so important that we have that correct view of God? And I mean, specifically, I'm just like in light of this of this conversation, yes. of this series, of you've already kind of mapped out where we're going. This is about mm-hmm. repentance, about revival. Why are we starting here? Why is this so important that we understand that God is the creator of everything? Yeah, so um, so if we say that that is uh, core to the identity of God, this idea that God is creator is core to his identity, here's, here's why I would say that. So again, back to this idea that we believe that, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it's infallible, it, it, it tells us what we need to know about God. Isn't it interesting that that's where God begins as he's revealing things to us about himself? He begins in Genesis 1-1 telling us, hey, guess what? I'm responsible for all of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I created all of this. Mm-hmm. So this was my desire. It was my design. I mean, think, think about a God who would choose to create. You know, I mean, you know, even as we get down toward the end of that chapter and we see God creating human beings, you know, God created humanity, human beings in, it doesn't just say in his image, it says, let us create them in our image. So man and woman, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so there is this creation of humankind in the image of God. And God was obviously relational. So it wasn't, I don't know, sometimes people try to say, well, that God was lonely. See, look, God was lonely. And that's why he created human beings. Well, I'm not sure that I I buy that. Somehow... God in the Trinity, and boy, we have a hard time getting our minds around that, but we see the Spirit of God (laughs) hovering over the water. So you see God, certainly in there, you do see God the Father in the beginning, God the Father, and then you have God the Spirit. Mm -hmm. John 1 Mm -hmm. tells us that actually the creative entity in in there somehow is Jesus. It's the Word, the Logos. Um, So we see certainly uh, at least a picture of the Trinity in Genesis 1. And, and you would imagine that there was this perfect harmony within that yeah. trend. Living so in some sort of community that's that exactly right. doesn't need humans to, yeah. like, to end the loneliness. That's yeah. not, that doesn't make sense to that's me. That's right. And, and then, I mean, almost certainly as well, the creation of the angels, angelic beings, preceding the creation of the world and humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think so, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so was God lonely? I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think God was lonely. I think it actually tells us more about the identity than God was lonely. There's a much deeper motivation in that. God wanted to create these beings. Now we're getting ahead a little bit, but that he could pour into, that he could love, that he could, you know, even one day redeem. And so of course we'll talk about all of that. But you know, I, I think so the question really is, um, before I get too sidetracked, the question is why is it so important? So if we just accept that that God as creator is central and core to his actual identity. Um, Why is it so important that we have that correct view? Well, I think, um, you know, logically, maybe you could even say philosophically, here's the truth of this. I mean, it's very logical, right? So whatever your view of God is, because it's such a big question, it's such a heavy question, so whatever people answer about the identity of God is then going to shape and craft their life, their life, you know, their, their lives. Um, so if, for example, um, an atheist says, well, there is no God. So what's your view of God? Well, my view of God is that he doesn't exist. That's my view of God as an atheist. Um, well, you're going to live your life in the certainty then that there is no God. Yeah. And so that's do whatever gonna, you want, do whatever you yeah. want, because then you get to be in yeah. charge. You get to be God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an agnostic, well, you're going to live your life in the view that you really can't know whether there is a God. And so for the most part, you're probably still going to do what you want, just maybe with a little more humility, um, you know, than the very certain atheist who, you know, Richard Dawkins, yeah. who actually yeah. says very plainly, I don't want there to be a God mm-hmm. because I want to be in charge of my life. I mean, mm-hmm. 
very boldly, plainly says that. And so, um, and I realize that he doesn't characterize and represent all people who yeah, don't believe fair. in God. But, uh, you know, then you get to somebody who holds uh, maybe the very traditional Christian Orthodox belief that, yeah, God is responsible for everything we see. God is creator. God is, you know, um, he exists and he's the reason we exist. You know, if, if that's the case, well, then that starts to shape your life as well. Again, think about the atheist who says, there is no God, so I get to be in charge. The agnostic who says, I'm not sure if there is a God. And of course, we could talk about all different faith traditions as well beyond that. But um, agnostic who says, I'm not sure if there is a God, so I'm, I don't think really this has much impact or you mm -hmm. know, effect on my life. Then what should that mean for those of us who really do believe there is a God? Well, then maybe we're not in charge of our lives. Maybe we're not in control of our lives. Maybe the one who designed us, um, he has the right to ask some things of us or expect some things of us even in there. You know, so beyond that too. Um, so here's the, the flow that we move through on Sunday morning. So the idea that your view of God will shape your life. Um, and then beyond that, what follows logically is that what you think about God will likely move you to wonder what he thinks about you. Or if you think that God doesn't exist, it's not going to move you to wonder at all what he thinks about you. But if you do believe that God exists, you ought to be moved to a place where, where that is, man, that is a, a deep kind of, I mean, that's one of those questions that you ponder and contemplate at the existential level. I mean, we're talking about it is at the beginning of all things. It's foundational in life right there. Then to sit there and say, okay, if God exists, what does he think about me? Yeah. yeah. You know, what does he think about me? So, you know, what you think about God will likely move you, move you to wonder what he thinks about you. And then the next one out of that too is that if God exists and he's responsible for all that exists, what he thinks about you matters. Because even if you ponder that, what does God think about me? You may go to the place where you say, well, I really don't care. Well, I don't know that that's actually really an option. I really don't care. Mm -hmm. I, I think it really does matter what God thinks about us. So I think, again, that, that's why it's important to understand that central and core to God's identity is this idea that he is creator because that moves us to that next place where we start to think about ourselves in relation to our creator mm -hmm. and ask the question, now, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, we, we've got we've to ask that question, I think. So. That's good. <clears throat> I, I think that's really helpful. Just the, I mean, just the simple statement that our view of God shapes how we live, and we may not yeah. even think about that, but I think just as you're, as you're unpacking that, that is so obvious and we're, we're not going through and talking about different religions as much here but we yeah. can so clearly see that right yes. in through different uh different faith traditions of how Absolutely. people's how their view of god so so radically does impact how their lives are so different than yes many christians live their life so i think it's it may not seem as obvious of a starting point right. at first. Like yeah. it may kind of throw you off. Like why are we starting in Genesis one with God as Creator? But it really, it really lines up yeah. as a foundation for but this. But let's 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 allow ourselves to skip ahead just real briefly. Okay. But but I think it's I think it's fair to say this: if we acknowledge, especially those of us as Christ followers, and really this book is aimed toward people who have ideas about Jesus and want mm -hmm. to follow Jesus. Now I, I know at the beginning of it, I kind of. I intentionally sort of begin in a way that that leaves that somewhat unclear. As if I'm trying to convince you that that God exists, I think it's the book is really aimed yeah. toward people who who do believe that God exists. But I want to get us nodding our heads on the things that we do agree on, so that mm -hmm. we can get to this place where we may not agree. And so here's here's the rub with that: um, if we believe that God calls people to repentance, now we're going to get and talk about what that is. Um, then we need to understand who is the God that calls people to repentance. Yeah. Who is this God that calls people to do things That's differently? That's good. So it does matter from that perspective as well. If we don't yeah. understand who God is, then why should we care if there is a God who's calling us to repentance? So we yeah. have to make sure that our foundational understanding of God is, is right and correct, and then mm -hmm. that will affect mm -hmm. the way we embrace the idea of repentance later on as we go. Well, I mean, just as you begin with Genesis 1, another thing that, mm -hmm. like, 
just sticks out to me in that is I recall listening to a Bible Project podcast mm-hmm. a while back where they were just talking about this question, kind of looking at Genesis 1 of like, who would you... If you just had Genesis 1, who would you see God to be? Like, what would you know about God? And trying to, like, actually, I took that and going through, I read Genesis 1, and Mm -hmm. I just try to strip back everything else and just Genesis 1. Who do I see God to be out of that? And something else I see from that is that he is able to say what's good. He says yeah. what's good. So like, yes. there's a moral component in that yes. of that this creator, he did create everything. He's the creator of it, of it all. And he also is the one who's able to say what's good. Yeah. And at that point, it's just what's good. And we get to what's bad a little bit yes. later. But he is the one who's able to define what is good, what is yeah. bad. So as we think of this as a starting point going into this series, um, we're talking about mm-hmm. repentance, talking about revival. Well, He's the creator of all, and he's the one who's able to say what's good. What's good and what's um, not. So that is clearly, it's a great way to launch us off. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's good. So you also said uh, yesterday that the existence of God, <clears throat> you said the existence of God is good news. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that, but explain to us why, yeah. why that is. Why is that true? So, um, so maybe first, let's just talk about that at, at an experiential kind of observational level. Um, we've talked about this before as well. So we, we talked about at the beginning of this year in, in episode one of uh, season one, um, I think some, somewhere in those first few episodes anyway, uh, we talked about the fact that there's, there's research revealing that, that we're kind of in the middle of, of an epidemic of meaninglessness mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so people looking around and that's, you know, <laughs> It is, um, if you are purely a naturalist, again, believing, so, so I mean, we're talking about creation, okay? So, uh, so we can talk about naturalism in this as well. Meaning basically, you really believe that, um, that through nothing but natural processes, so no design, no intent, no purpose, therefore no meaning, everything that is came about. Then there is no purpose behind it. There really is no purpose. You know, the best we can do is try to create our own purpose. And when that's not fulfilling, we wind up at this place where we do start to believe that life is meaningless. And that's nihilism. There's no purpose. There's no meaning to any of this. And then for many, the next logical question is, then why go on living? Well, that's bad news right mm-hmm. there. Like if there's no purpose and no meaning to life, then I mean, that if I found out that that was reality, that I don't know how that would impact me. I'm, well, I, I think I do. I know, I know how it would inf- affect me and, and, and influence the kind of influence that that idea would have on me. I, you know, it, it, I, I can see why people who believe that ask the next question, then why is life, what's, what makes life worth living? And then the yeah. answer is nothing for them. You know, yeah. m- many people are landing at that place, especially, um, especially in, in Gen Z. I mean, that's, that is a big thing for, for Gen Z right now is this struggle with is there purpose, meaning, and value in life? And if the answer to that is no, then why live? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're stuck where, where people are embracing what they think is reality and it's leading them to the conclusion that there is no news but bad news. Mm-hmm. You know, so here we have God saying, whoa, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I created this. I created you. So if God created all of this, then there is purpose and meaning and value to it, mm-hmm. including each one of us. Mm-hmm. Whatever our personal brokenness is, our personal struggles are, whatever, yes, there's brokenness in this life. There's broken, you know, that, that's kind of central to what it means to be human. You know, to, uh, you know as we say, to, to err is human, to forgive is divine, right? And so, I mean, you got, you know, I mean, it, yes, that's part of what it means to be human beings. We make mistakes. You know, we contribute to the brokenness of others. We contribute and expound upon our own brokenness all the time, you know, so that's, that's tough to deal with. Um, but there's still meaning and purpose and value. Yeah. Right? So, so if, if everything is meaningless, purposeless, valueless, and, and I hurt others and others hurt me, then we look around and we say that I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. If everything has value, meaning, and purpose, even the moments in which we are wounded. In fact, you know, when we talk about the question of, of good and evil or why does God, and this is kind of chasing a rabbit, but, but there's a point in this real quickly. You know, why, why does God allow evil? Isn't it amazing 
that through our through the evil that is sometimes done to us that we experience, or even through suffering, where we might might not place the label of evil on it necessarily, but even through suffering, we as Christ followers find meaning, sometimes incredible meaning, in our suffering. You know, where where James is able to say, consider it joy. I mean, be joyful when you suffer. Yeah. Here's yeah. why: because you're going to grow. Just watch. If you hold on to your faith in God, watch the way you'll grow through your suffering, through your trials, uh, as James would say. And so, you know, in God, with God as a Creator, we find meaning all over the place. All of a sudden, almost everything in life life takes on meaning, value, and purpose. So that's that's a big deal. Um, I think as well. Um, here's here's also why it matters. So. If, if God exists, um, so, so let's just, so we talked a little bit about nihilism. We're going to put another ism in here. Uh, you know, let's talk about deism. The idea that, yeah, there is a God, um, but we can't really conclude much about the nature of God because all we see is maybe, yeah, there had to be a God to create this. Then, you know, so you end up with sometimes the watchmaker idea. Mm-hmm. God wound mm-hmm. this up and then he walked away. Yep. Right? So if, if all God did was start this stuff, walk away, um, and doesn't have anything to do with us anymore, then we might still find ourselves in a place where we feel like, yeah, man, this world is a cold place. There's mm-hmm. what, what's really to it? Then we're still kind of struggling for meaning, at least personal meaning and value, right? Yeah. Personal. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get a lot more into this in week three, so I don't want to go into it too far. Um, but we're going to talk about the nature of God and what's core as well. So God is a creator, but what's also core to the nature of God, and we've already touched on that a little bit this morning, is that God is relational, mm-hmm. a relational being. Like He wants to have a relationship with his creation, especially those that were created in his image, which is what Genesis 1 tells yeah. us about our creation. So that's, that's incredible news. One, if God is creator then there's meaning, value, and purpose in life. Two, the kind of creator God that we have is the one that wants to have a relationship with each one of us individually. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible to me. So when I think about that, yeah, there's, in, there's a ton there. I mean, so yeah, why does it matter? Man, if you're struggling for meaning, value, and purpose, the creator God gives you meaning, value, and purpose. And beyond that, loves you as well. So, so much there. That's really good. So... In, uh, in chapter one of the book, you spent a little bit of time starting to talk about some logical arguments that yeah. support the uh, reasonability of the existence of God. Now, yeah. you didn't do as much of this in the message right. yesterday, but you went into this a little bit in the book. So I thought this would be a cool thing we could talk about here on the podcast yeah. a bit. And love to hear what those views are and just give us a brief snapshot of that. Okay. Even in the book, I know you say that like... We don't have time yes. to go deep into that. This could be a whole other book, whole other podcast yes. series, and exactly maybe right. it will be one day. But um, give us just like a brief overview of these like three views I think you talked about yeah. that really support uh, support the reasonability of believing in God in God's existence. Yeah. So um, let me just give real quick what I what I do in the book and. Uh, I, I do it in two different parts in two different places. So if, if somebody's got the book, and I know there are some folks that have it, if you don't, definitely it's available on Amazon, very easy to get there. At the end of chapter one, I do talk briefly about these three arguments, but only to state the basic definition of the argument, and then actually to show you how this argument lines up with, with Scripture, basically. Yeah. Like here, yeah. are, here are things in Scripture that tell us exactly the same as this, basically, this basic argument. Um, that was, you know, formulated by someone later down the road now. Um, and I am holding up here a copy of the book. So you get to uh, the end of the book once you've actually kind of read through the main text. Um, and I will say this, this is not in the audiobook version of it. So, okay. so this is, you know, a lot of times people don't put their, the, the appendices to the book mm-hmm. in the audiobook version. So if you got that, I apologize. Um, if you get in touch with us through the podcast, I'll find a way to make this appendix available to you if you happen to have the audiobook, but not... Uh, not the actual hard hard copy version. So there's Appendix A, so holding up that real quick, people who are watching on camera can see that, um, that actually expounds upon these logical arguments and mm-hmm. digs into each one of those in a little bit more depth. But with the acknowledgement, uh, you know, or, you know, with this comes an acknowledgement that there are others who do this 
um, in a much deeper fashion. So if you wanted to dig a lot deeper into that, you know, go to the back and you'll see in the end notes uh, at the end of the appendix, I've got some sources listed there that you could dig a lot more deeply into these arguments if that's something that you're interested in. Having said that, um, you know, I do think it is worthwhile, you know, because there are a lot of people who still have this, um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice that you're talking about God as a creator, but why should I believe that? And, and that's a struggle we're going to have that we, you know, as we engage with people. So maybe you believe that there is a God and you don't need convincing, but as you're talking with other people, maybe these arguments would be helpful to them. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe you're the kind of person that every now and then you doubt, just like I have, by the way, and just mm -hmm. like I'm sure, Ben, you do from time to time. Mm -hmm. And so it has been these reasonable arguments every now and then that will reground my faith, maybe in one of the valley times of life, you know, where I'm not feeling as close and connected and experiencing the presence of God as I do sometimes on the mountaintops. And sometimes these arguments have helped me through. So real quickly, we're going to go through these three arguments, and I'm going to try to spend just a couple minutes on each. So the first okay. one is called the yep. Kalam cosmological argument, sometimes just called the cosmological argument. And it, it's, it's a syllogism. It basically states these three logical progressions, right? So it says first that everything that begins to exist has a cause, okay? So everything that begins to mm -hmm. exist has a cause. So that, that kind of makes sense. You look around and you're like, well, everything that I see must have a beginning somewhere, right? So uh, that car that you're driving didn't just show up one day. It had a beginning and that beginning had a cause, right? So mm -hmm. everything that begins to exist have, has a cause. Now, what's really interesting is it takes this to the next level. This actually deals with the beginning or the creation of the universe as it is, okay. right? So it says the universe began to exist. Well, um, most modern cosmology, in fact, almost all of it that is still respected at this point in time, now accepts that the universe has a cause. Whether you want to go all the way to the Big Bang or you want to go to some other theory, although the Big Bang is in science most, most accepted at this point in time, but if you accept the Big Bang, you accept that the universe began, right? And there are a lot of theories that try to get around that because, and in fact, first, when, the big, when big Bang cosmology began to be accepted, uh, most cosmologists pushed against that because they knew the implication of that was if it began to exist, something had to cause, cause mm -hmm. it to exist, and that mm -hmm. something had to exist outside of the actual universe or outside of space and time as we know it, which, guess what? That is the third point of the syllogism. So first, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Mm -hmm. well, what's the cause of that universe? Well, of course, Christian apologists are going to go beyond that to say yeah. God was the cause of that universe. So he's an uncaused causer is somewhat mm -hmm. sometimes what people refer to him <laughs> as or the uncaused creator. So he's outside of the universe, outside of space and time. It takes a cause outside of space and time to create space and time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the cosmological argument, um, well, just a very okay. easy logical argument. Uh, the second one is a moral law argument, and this one, moral law argument, this has been around for some time, mm -hmm. but uh, C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity is probably the one yeah. that made this type of argument yeah. um, maybe most well-known. And, it, and it, basically, it basically goes like this. Um, you and I as human beings, we somehow have this inherent basic understanding of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Or if we don't want to go so far as to say we have an understanding of right and wrong, we believe that there is a right and a wrong. Now we may debate on what is right and what is wrong, but we have an understanding that some things are right and some things are wrong. Yeah. Why is that so much a part of our wiring? Yeah. You know, and Lewis kind of makes the point to say, okay, let's talk about the guy that says, well, no, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. Um, let's say that you then go and steal something from that guy you take his stuff, that guy's going to say, wait a minute, you can't take my stuff. Well, why can't I take your stuff? Well, because it's wrong. Wait, no, you just told me there is no right and there is no wrong. Well, are you going to go with then just, I don't like it. I don't like it that you took my stuff. Or do we believe that stealing is actually wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, and so that even the person who wants to exist, you know, insists that there is no actual right or wrong inherently feels something different about that. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah. Um, we, again, we may argue what is right or wrong, but I think in the end, while we could say that maybe there are cultural constructs or con concepts of what is right or wrong, all of us say there Everyone is a right some kind of and sense. there is a yeah. wrong. You yeah. know, so then the question is, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, where did that come from? 
And certainly, again, at a, on a theological level, we would say that came from God. Because again, the idea of good and then not good are also inherent to his nature. You know, so God is good. As God created things, he said they were good. As he created humanity, he said it was very good. But then when humanity fell, now he's acknowledging that evil came into the world. Sin, death came into the world. Brokenness mm -hmm. came into the world. Um, so, you know, even, even the idea of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, so that, that is, and I think I, in the book, I think I use that as well to say, look, here, here is one of these verses that tells us good and evil. The knowledge of it actually came through what God imparted to us. And, and we didn't have that self level of self-awareness at some point. So the last one is the, the argument from design. Um, and the argument from design basically says this. When you look at the created order, it is so complex both at the microscopic level and then maybe at um, you know the telescopic level maybe we could say so you got what you can see through the microscope what you can see through the telescope the design of those things is so complex so our cellular design all the way down to the smallest subatomic particles these things are so complex that they require a creator but you want to go out and then talk about the universe and the way the universe, what we see through the telescope in a sense, is it is also so fine-tuned that it also requires a creator. So, yeah. you know, in the book, I think toward the end of, of the appendix, I'll, I'll just read this little bit for you real quick because I think this is, a, this is super interesting. Coming out of the argument from design, what some call uh, the teleological argument, um, here's, what, uh, here's what Mark Clark says about the universe. He says, he says, gives this illustration. He says, consider it this way. Imagine walking into a four-walled room each, each wall containing a number of design, uh, dials. In this scenario, each dial represents one or another of the variables of fine tuning that must be present for the universe to exist. Okay, so each one of those dials has a range from one to 100. So Mark Clark says that we would have to have, that, you know, that we would have 122 dials that would be represented on that wall in that room. And that each one of those would not need to be fine tuned just to a uh, precise percentage from one to 100. 1 to 100, he said each one of those would need to be designed not just to, or uh, calibrated not just to a specific whole number, but to a level of precision almost unimaginable, one part in a million millionth. And all 122 are subject to that type of fine tuning. So Is that kind of an idea I think I've heard called the irreducible complexity? Yeah, is so that... irreducible complexity is often on the biological level. Fine-tuning okay. is the way they okay. fine-tuning gotcha. of the universe is what they call that on the, on the cosmological gotcha. level. Okay. Yeah, but it's both the same, complex, uh, both the same concept okay. that these things are so complex yeah. that without a designer, you don't have enough random chance. It doesn't matter how much time we posit for the existence of the universe. There's not enough. There's not enough opportunity for it to have happened. There just mm -hmm, isn't. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, I think That's those good. are those are good arguments to kind of help bolster us in our faith and maybe help us share with others because sometimes those are the things we just we just gloss over those things and act like, yeah. well, I believe because I believe. No, we believe because it's reasonable to believe, and of course, it's a whole lot better news as well. I think that's helpful, and you know, we know that's a very brief snapshot. Snapshot, mm -hmm. we could spend a lot more time on it, but just to review those, it's yeah. the the Klum, Klum cosmological cosmological argument. Argument. Yep. moral law argument argument from design. That's right. It's good good snapshots, and yep. uh, if that's something you're interested in, I'm sure uh, we could dive a lot deeper into yes. that. Paul's got Most some definitely. great resources that um, we could potentially even link to some of those in yeah, the podcast. Absolutely. All right, so that is. That's the end of like where we went in that message, the end of yeah. where we went in chapter one, and it brings us to our question mm -hmm. we're going to end with every week is, how can we practice this to be faithful to Jesus? Yeah, man, that's a really good question. Since, um, since what we are doing in this whole conversation is trying to frame uh, kind of the basis or trying to create a basic framework for the way that somebody sees God, which beyond that... I would argue is also then the framework for the basic worldview, or it's going to be the building block. So the way you see God will be part of the kind of that foundational, those foundational building blocks that help frame or create the worldview you embrace as well. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's huge. I mean, our worldview frames the way for the which we operate. It is, it is the basis by which we 
make at least consistent decisions. Okay, mm-hmm. so all of us do things. You know, uh, both of us are you know kind of into the counseling field a little bit. Um, you know, so so we know that people do things that are incongruent with their beliefs all the time, and it creates yeah. tension. And you know, those are the kind of times where you know, I mean, you end up counseling somebody because here's something. You know, they're experiencing ambivalence over something. They know they should do this, but they're they're out here doing this instead. And um, you know, but when we act in accordance with our values, our worldview, that that is kind of what you expect out of people. So we expect people who are atheists to act like they don't believe in God, right? Yeah. Let's flip the script, Christians. Man, we we should be expected, those of us who believe in God to live like we believe in God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's huge, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, I, I wanna say this is a big deal. It seems like simple stuff um, and, and okay, maybe it is simple and maybe it is quite basic, especially if we're just saying, um, listen, God created all of this. Okay, okay, got it. That's you know, super simple, I understand that. But some of the most simple ideas are also the most foundational. I, I just want you to think about it this way. Um, when, so a number of years back, we lived in Florida, um, Lori and I really wanted a screen porch on the back of our house. So I I like to take on projects. I thought I can, I can handle this. I can do this, right? So I'm going to do this. So I got into looking and figure out all the things that had to take place and all the levels of inspections that would take place and what the code was on all these, you know, all these different steps in the project. And the first one was to lay the foundation to basically pour the slab, the foundation for that porch. Now, mm-hmm. most of that structure, nobody's ever actually gonna see with their eye. You know, you're not gonna see the footers, you're not gonna see the rebar that was in there, you're not gonna see the fact that I got the concrete fiber mesh stuff, which has all this little fiberglass stuff in it yeah. that holds it together. You're not gonna see that. But I did all that stuff so that the foundation would remain stable and it wouldn't crack, right? Mm-hmm. So put a lot of work into that. What you notice, is that later we put this nice tile on top of it and you notice the structure, the screen, the screen door that it fits well, the roof that it most of the time kept rain from leaking in. Um, Not always, I kind of struggled to get it watertight, but uh, you know, those are the things you see. You see the pretty stuff on top. Mm -hmm. You see the patio furniture, you see the grill that's in there. You, You know, so you see those things, but you don't see the foundation and maybe even we take it for granted. And actually I think that's true in in the way that we sometimes glance over yes this simple idea that god created everything we see but it's foundational yeah yeah and it one i mean there's an ought in this mm-hmm. it ought to shape the way we live mm-hmm. if we don't believe that god created then Yes, do whatever you want. And in fact, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when people mm-hmm. who don't believe that God created decide they're gonna be really nice and wonderful people anyway. I mean, that's puzzling to me. Mm-hmm. But it's equally puzzling to me when we as Christ followers, when the idea that God is the creator doesn't from there shape everything. Yeah. When it doesn't shape everything. So think about this at a biblical level for just a minute because the point that I just made, you know, having built this backyard patio, Jesus actually makes in Matthew 7, and I want to read this for, you know, for everybody listening real quickly here. This is from Matthew 7, we'll begin in verse 24. He says, at the, kind of at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and yes, he's speaking about particular teachings, but they're teachings that frame a worldview, okay? And, and they're teachings that are built upon the worldview that God is the creator, that he, in fact, exists. So, Uh, He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is talking about a foundation. He's not talking about the house first. He wants to say, let's talk about the foundation. Mm -hmm. So the foundational things matters. He says, matters. He, He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Mm-hmm. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the wind built and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachings of the law. They saw there was meaning, value, and purpose wrapped up in everything he was saying because he started with the right foundation, right? So this is huge. So 
I guess in a sense, here's the question that I want to leave with everybody listening, watching, whatever. Um, and and I, want, I, want you to work, uh, I want you to work through this this week. I mean, actually ask yourself this question because it is foundational and everything in life ought to be built upon your answer to this first question right here. Is my life built upon the foundational belief that God is the creator? Or if you need to make that even more personal in the next step, that God created me so that God created you that, you know, and then uh, the question beyond that, am I, are you building your life upon that foundation? Basically, is that your starting point for everything that happens from mm -hmm. here forward, mm -hmm. that God is the creator? And I think that's, if you believe that to your core, it ought to move you toward practices that lead you toward faithfulness. Yeah. It ought to, because that belief right there ought to shape your life. That's awesome. Man, that's a really good spot to leave us with. Question one more time is to, for you to ponder, reflect on this week, mm -hmm. is that, is my life built on the foundational belief that God is the creator? Yeah. Um, so we encourage you, really, spend some time with that, sit in that, meditate on that, maybe journal your thoughts on that, yeah. and... Uh, be ready for next week as we yeah. continue to dive into this series. Paul, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was really good. It, really me great too. starting point, and uh, I'm looking forward to going further into this. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm excited to spend uh, a total of eight weeks here and, and hope that where it leads us, we've got some real, I think, uh, we've got some plans for this series that I think are going to help all of us grow in our relationship and walk with God. And so that, that piece of it is, is very exciting to me. So I hope our folks will stay connected here uh, and, and journey with us as we go. Awesome. And as always, we just thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we invite you to tune in again next week on our new release day on Wednesday morning. And as always, if you have questions, comments, please reach out to us. And if you're enjoying this, if you find this helpful in your pursuit of following Jesus, we recommend please share this with other people. We'd, yeah. love, uh, we'd love for this to be a resource for as many people as possible. So uh, thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.